I'm going to start off this morning with a disclaimer. Uh, I have an intention, and, and I'm working on it. I'm, I'm getting to that end, but I'm going to try to preach shorter sermons this year. Um, I'm going to get there, but not today, okay? Not today. This ain't the day. And, and there's a reason. I started a series last week called The Anatomy of a Lie, and um, I began to, to flesh this out and, and to start going through all of the truths that I wanted to share with you. And, and I don't, those of you that know me well, I, I don't say things like this lightly, and I don't say it very often, but I'm going to give you so much information today and in the next few weeks that you, you don't want to waste any of it. Uh, there, there's healing in what I'm about to be talking about, but I'm going to build precept upon precept, which means last week's going to bleed into this week, and this week will bleed into next week. And it's not necessary that you be here for every single one of them because each one of them is going to have their own truth, but they're all going to be meshed and melded together. But there is going to be so much that I need to cover. I could probably do four, this, this four weeks in eight, but I just don't have the time and the schedule to do that. But it's important. Uh, there, it's so important that we're going to do the la- th- this week and the next two weeks very differently than you're used to. At the end of this service, I'm going to have the praise team come up, and we're going to sing a song that uh, I've selected, and, and we're going to go through the words of it. And while we're doing that, they're going to be passing out the elements for communion. So uh, if, if you don't want to participate in communion and you don't want to participate in the altar service, that would be a great time for you to dismiss yourself. But those of you that need healing, uh, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to be uncovering some uncomfortable truths, if that's okay. Uh, but I'm, I'm not going to do it at you. I'm going to do it with you because I'm going to be real vulnerable up here, especially this morning, and, and expose some things that I learned about me, and it took me way longer than I want it to take you. So I'm going to help you, I'm going to assist you, I'm going to come alongside you and and give you some uncomfortable truths about you. And the reason I know them is because I found them out about myself. So I don't want to rush this, if that's okay. I I, want to take as long as it takes. I want to give you everything that I feel like you need to get. I I rushed last week, I cut the end of the sermon off because I am trying to stay under a certain time limit and I cut part of that sermon off and I I don't want to do that. I feel like this is too important, so I, I'm just I'm just going to speak what I've got, uh, what I feel like you you need to receive. Is is that okay with everybody? If if we do that, <clears throat> so if you're here this morning and you've got one of those old fashioned Bibles where you flip pages and you'd like to follow along, my my sermon text is going to be from Genesis chapter 37 this morning. If you've got one of those digital ones, you can find it as well. Uh, But I'll have a big Bible on my wall behind me if you didn't bring any of those. Uh, Genesis chapter 37. Now, let me give you a little bit of background. Uh, This sermon series is called The Anatomy of a Lie. The reason I'm talking about that I'm going to expose some uncomfortable truths is because some of you have been bound up in a lot of things for a long time, but you're not bound by what you think you are. You think you're bound by certain things, but it's not that thing that has had you so isolated for so long. It's actually the lie that's attached to that thing. And and these are the truths that I want to flesh out and work through uh, together with you. Now, I've said this before, but I'm what's known as as, as a uh, uh, 
I, I, I verbalize everything. I talk to God out loud. I don't know how you pray. Some people pray quietly. I talk to God out loud, and I don't just do it when I'm in a sanctuary on my face. I, I talk to him while I'm driving. I talk to him while I'm taking a shower. I talk to him while I'm shaving. I talk to him before I talk to my kids. <laughs> so so, so there's, there's a lot of times I'm talking to the Lord, and I, I, I verbal process everything. And a lot of times, the sermon that you hear across this pulpit, I've already verbally processed it four times to myself. Not that I'm rehearsing it or trying to memorize it. I'm just talking out loud to God because he's giving it to me, and I'm speaking it out over my own self. And, and, and so I'm just going to verbally process these next three sermons. I have my notes. I've got a lot of scriptures I'm going to share with you. I'm going to wear your pen out. I'm going to warn you. If you're one of these people that like to keep notes in your phone, that's fine. But if you're, if you're writing them down, there's going to be a lot of scripture, a lot of truths. You're not, I don't say this very often, but there's a lot of things. You're not going to want to let these truths fall to the ground. You're going to want to receive this, take this, practice this, put this into practice if, if you have a desire to get loose. If you want to be free, if you want to be whole, if you want to be healed, these are the types of sermons that gets us there, okay? So Genesis 37 is where we're going to take our text from, and let me just give you a little bit of a background. In the Old Testament, there was a man named Jacob. He had 12 sons. Jacob did what you're not supposed to do. He picked a favorite. Now, you all have a favorite. You just lie about it. Jacob didn't lie about it. He went down to the Gucci store and bought a coat of many colors and brought it home and put it on his favorite kid, who was the son of his favorite wife. That's a whole other sermon for a whole other time. Amanda is my favorite wife, just so everybody is clear about that. Amanda is my favorite wife. So uh, he, brought, he brought him this coat of many colors. He, he, he set that son named Joseph apart. But what happened was that instigated jealousy among the other brothers. And they plotted to kill Joseph. You, most of you know this story, right? Whenever you think your family is jacked up, just read the B-I-B-L-E. Because you will find in there stories that will curl your hair. You think your family's a mess. But they decided they were going to kill Joseph. They took him out in the wilderness and their intention was to kill him. And then one of the brothers... One of the 11 decided maybe, maybe it's not a good idea for us to kill him. So instead of killing him, they sold him into slavery. And like most kids who already did something wrong, they started working on a cover story to tell their dad. And that's what we're going to read this morning. The lie that they gave to their father. I'm going to ask if you would to stand for the reading of God's holy word. Genesis chapter 37, and we're going to begin with verse 31. So they took Joseph's tunic, killed a kid of the goats, and dipped the tunic in the blood. Mm -hmm. And then they sent that tunic of many colors, and they brought it to their father and said, We found this. Do you know whether it's your son's tunic or not? And he recognized it and said, it's my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Notice those next two words. Without doubt, Joseph is torn to pieces. Can I stop right there and tell you? Joseph was not torn to pieces. 
And yet, Jacob's response was, without doubt, this is true. But it was a lie. Hmm. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put sackcloth on his waist, and mourned for his son many days. And all of his sons and all of his daughters arose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, for I shall go down. He said, he said, he spoke over his own self. He spoke over his future. He said, I shall go down into the grave to my son in mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Before you're seated, I want you to look at your neighbor and say, Neighbor, this is the year the lies stop. You can be seated in his presence. Mm. This is the year... We're still in January. This is still a real good time for you to get deliberate about your life. We're still here in the beginning part of a new year. And New Year's is when many of us are always focused on making changes. And if I can get you to make one deliberate, intentional change about your life, it will be this. To stop believing lies. Now, I'm not talking about turning off Fox News and MSNBC, although that's a great place to start. But I'm talking about more intentional lies, lies that aren't as easy to get away from. I'm going to speak to you this morning from the concept that you don't know what you think you know. Is that that all right? I'm not up here to tell you I'm smarter than you. I'm just telling you that I've went through some things, and I've spent some time in this Word, and I've realized some truths that I want to share with you. Uh, there's a war going on right now. There's a couple of them in the, in the world going on, one of which is a war in Ukraine. I'm sure most of you have heard uh, bit, at least bits and pieces of what's been going on in Ukraine. But there was one story that I read that I did not know anything about. Shortly after Russia invaded Ukraine and the war began, the president of Ukraine uh, put out a video telling his people his soldiers to lay their guns and weapons down and surrender. And that video was released on Facebook and Twitter and other social media agencies. And before long, the local news picked up on it, and it was put on their websites, and they were airing it all around the world. And everybody was wondering why the president of Ukraine, who seemed so determined to fight back against Russia would suddenly change his mind and surrender. And there was only one problem with this video. It was fake. Now, I don't know if you've noticed how scary this thing called AI has gotten. But it is terrifying. They can take one word of a recording that you have made. They can just take one word, and they can take from that voice recording... And make a video of you saying the most outlandish things. Like, like they, they could have you answer the phone and say hello. They can take one picture of you from your Facebook page. And they can make a video of you saying things that doesn't even sound like you. Like they could take any of you, any of you, get one recording and have you... Make a video saying the Cleveland Browns are the greatest team in the world. And some of your friends would be like, surely you have lost your mind. 
Some of you, they could take one picture from your Facebook page, one word of a recording of your voice, and have you saying things like fried, deep fried possum tails are a delicacy. And the only reason that this thing is available, they say it's to help mankind. But computers are able to generate words and faces and environments that look 100% real. And I'm going to tell you the sole reason for it is to get you and me to believe a lie. There is no other reason for this to exist but, it, but to move people's emotions based on something that is not true. That's why they do these things. But this is not a new idea, by the way. Because before there was an AI, there was a Reuben and a Levi. And a Judah. There was 11 brothers who said, you know what? Let's lie to dad so we don't get into trouble for what we did. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. But before I do it, I want to pray. And I want you to pray that you're going to be able to receive all of this truth this morning. There's going to be a lot. There's going to be a lot of information. Some of you are going to get frustrated with what I'm about to say. That's okay. I got big shoulders. I'll take it. But I want you to know that I'm going to back it up with Scripture. Because some of you have lived with this lie hanging over you and directing your steps for so long that when you're confronted with the truth, it's aggravating. It's frustrating. But I want it to be liberating. So before I move on, I'm not going to move out of the pulpit much. i got to stay right here. i got a lot to say, and I don't have a long time to get there. But I'm not going to be shouting and jumping and, and making a lot of noise. I, I need to be deliberate with my delivery because I need you to be free today. And if you can receive that freedom, I want you to close your eyes and I want to speak life into you right now. Father, in the name of your son, Jesus, we who are weak are seeking you who are strong. We who don't have knowledge needs you who have all wisdom to pour into us today. Let this word go forth unhindered. Let it be powerful, let it be life-giving, let it be thought-provoking, and most importantly, God, let it be healing. Let someone leave here today differently than they came in because they're going to hear truth that they have never faced before. I believe you are working through this service. I believe you are working through this word. You're going to work through this time of communion, and you're going to bring healing to people who need it. And in the name of your son, Jesus, I pray and ask this, and everyone said, amen. I'm going to jump right into it, okay? Here in Genesis 37, we get a glimpse of how the enemy keeps people in bondage. Some of you are saying, Pastor, I've been saved for a long time. I didn't ask you if you were saved. I didn't ask you if you've been baptized in water. I didn't ask you if you've joined a church. Because you can do all those things and still be in bondage. And I want to talk to you about why the enemy is able to keep us in bondage. Because most people don't realize what it is that actually has got them in bondage. If I ask you to privately write down why you feel like you're in bondage to something, many of you would say something like trauma, wounds, pain, I was abandoned, I never felt loved. You would say there's a lot of things that you would say that are the correlation and the causation of why you are today in bondage. But I'm going to tell you that the wounds you have experienced... And the traumas that you have gone through are not what's kept you in bondage. They are the things that put chains around you. But it is not what made those chains unbreakable and the reason that you are carrying them this long many years later. They're not 
the reason you are still tied down. I can tell by your silence that you're already frustrated with me. So let me give you my first truth on the wall. What keeps us in bondage is not the is the lie from the enemy about that trauma and wounds. Because what happens is this, you can't help trauma. You can't prevent wounds. But those are not the things that keep you in bondage for years. What keeps you in bondage is with that trauma comes a lie. And that lie that you choose to believe shapes your future reality. You walk out a lie instead of walking in the truth. And what that does is allow a one-time event. They divorced you one time. Your mother abandoned you one time. Your grandmother passed away one time. And what that does is you allow that one time event to follow you through the course of your days. And now that one event defines your entire life. Ooh, it's quiet in here. Let's, let's, let's look at the process of healing that, that God takes us on. First... You have to be man and woman enough to admit something. Hey, God, that hurt. I didn't like it when I lost my mother. I didn't like it when I had to go through chemotherapy. I didn't like it when I filed bankruptcy. That hurt me. And because it hurt me, it did something to my heart. And I need your presence, oh God, to help heal me. See, I started this year, I preached watch night service, and I told you that more than anything I want this year, I don't want big bags of money, I, I, I don't want uh, credit or fame, I don't want more friends as much as I want the presence of God. This year, I want the God's presence. Why? Because I found the value in His presence. And I'm going to tell you something, God's presence coming into the church does a whole lot more than knock people in the floor and make us shout and dance. No, in His presence... There's healing. In His presence, there's peace. In His presence, there are miracles. If I can get into God's presence, guess who's not allowed there? So I'm pursuing. This year, I'm actively pursuing the presence of God. So I pursue Him. I say, God, I need your presence to heal my heart. Then God comes along and does what only God can do, and He heals that heart. But after my heart has been healed, I have to also realize that there were some lies of the enemy that was attached to that wound. And some of those lies I believed. I'm going to get into that in a minute. I believed it because it happened to me. And I was wounded. And I was injured. And when I'm wounded and I'm injured, I'm more susceptible to believe in what he tells me. And because I have believed a lie, I now need to bring in... The truth, because the opposite of a lie is the truth. You're going to hear that a lot in this sermon series. So, here's how the enemy works. That's how God heals, but here's how the enemy works. These brothers took Joseph's coat, the coat that identified him, the coat that set him apart, the coat that made him special, and they cut it up, ripped it, dipped it in blood as if some wild animal had tore Joseph apart. And watch this. They brought it to Jacob. And do you know what they never said? They never said, Dad, your son is dead. 
I'm, I'm showing you the anatomy of a lie. You're running behind. Let me catch you up. They never said, Dad, we found a body. They brought evidence and let Jacob draw his own conclusion. Here's what they did. They asked a question. They said, Dad, do you recognize this coat? Well, of course I recognize that coat. There's only one like it. The Gucci store only made one. It is impossible to confuse that coat. It's one of a kind. That's the special coat that I gave to Joseph. Look what Jacob said. He said, this is none other than my son's coat. Surely he has... Do you see the leap he just took? Surely he has been devoured by wild animals. Do you see the anatomy of the beginning stages of a lie here? How all you need, some of us, to jump to wild conclusions is a negative attitude and a little bit of evidence. It's going to be quiet in here because you know I'm telling the truth. Here's what the enemy loves to do. He comes alongside trauma, tragedy, and he begins narrating the story. The anatomy of a lie is this. He will give you facts that back up what your negative attitude is already leaning toward. He gives you evidence to back up what he is offering to you as a lie. And without even realizing it, he doesn't even have to tell you a whole lie. You will jump to your own conclusion because he offered you a little bit of evidence. They didn't answer my call twice. I am D-U-N done. You've known them 27 years. You're going to hang a whole relationship on two missed phone calls? They knew I was calling. Maybe they were doing something that you did not want them to talk to you while they was doing it. Ever think about that? But we jump to wild conclusions with a little bit of evidence. He'll give you a little bit of facts. Evidence that looks to back up the exact lie he's offered him without even realizing it. Because of your pain, because of your exhaustion, because you were caught off guard, you say, you know what, one plus one must equal two and that must be true. So here you are thinking that when you, your loved one passed away, can I be real? Do I have permission? Your loved one passed away. And it was at that moment you think your heart got wounded. Can I help you? Them passing away hurt. It was a wound. It was painful. Yes, you loved them and they're no longer there. However, the end of their life is not why you are still bound ten years later. No, because whether you understand it or not, God developed you, designed you to understand that death is a part of life. You live every day knowing that people that you know and love may not always be here. So the fact that you are still wounded by it ten years later should tell you that it's not their passing that still has you compressed. Uh-uh. It's not your loved one passing away that has you in bondage. It's the lie that you believed that was attached to that wound. And that's why you haven't moved past that moment. I'm not trying to make you super emotional in here, but I am trying to expose the enemy. And is, is that okay? Ha, here you are at the funeral. 
And here comes the enemy whispering in your ear. You know you're the only one that they ever loved. You know they're the only one that ever loved you. You know you're the, you're, they're the only one that ever saw value in you. She's the only one that ever said you were special. He's the only one that stuck up for you. Nobody else will ever love you like they did. Lies whispered to you in a moment of trauma. And you believe that lie. And you carry it out of that funeral home. And you carry it for the next 30 years. And you know what? He's also good at presenting evidence. Then he will send into your life. Three or four people who don't value you, who don't make you feel special, because that's proving his lie is true. So they don't treat you right, they don't act like you're special, and your mind says, you know what? Here's the evidence. Here's the truth. I am by myself. Nobody's ever going to love me like mama. Nobody's ever going to protect me like daddy. And you will spend the next 40 years of your life believing that nobody gets you, nobody understands you, nobody values you, never realizing it's not the wound of losing them, it's the lie that was attached to it. I know this is heavy, but I need you to get this. Maybe you went through some abuse in your past. Maybe because of that abuse, you made some bad choices. I could tell you stories. I won't get into them today. Later in this series, I probably will. But it may shock you to find out it's not the trauma, it's not the abuse that wounded you and kept you bound. I know the years, the age that we live in is making everybody out to be a victim. I'm here to set this, the record straight and get you out of that mentality this morning. Because what happened was this, the abuse was real. The wounds was genuine. But what happened was there's an enemy whispering in your ear. And those whispers sound something like this. You know you're damaged goods now. You know you're broken and nobody will ever want you now. You know you don't really have any value now. And that lie makes you afraid to admit to anybody else that could actually help you because that lie whispers, if you tell anybody, they'll wonder what you did to desert. And if you're not careful, you'll spend the rest of your life believing that lie. So every promotion that comes up at work, you'll say, no, I'm not going to apply. Why? Because you don't feel worthy. Every open door that comes into your life, nope, I'm not going to walk through that. Those things don't happen to me. I just get bad luck. Nothing good ever happens to me. And you actually sabotage your own progress because you believed a lie that you're not worthy of good things. You tell yourself over and over, I don't deserve good things. I don't deserve a good man. So you just keep bringing the same one home. A promotion. So you just keep letting everybody else leapfrog over you because you don't tell the boss, I think I could do that. Not because of trauma. You, bl you blame the trauma. You're blaming your ex-husband. You're blaming the ex-wife. You're blaming the boss. But really, what you should be blaming and targeting is the lie. One of the problems is the enemy, enemy believes God's Word more than we do. Uh, let me show you what I mean by that. Proverbs chapter 27 verse 3 says this. 
As a man thinks, and by the way, ladies, you in there too. As a man or you ladies thinks in their heart, so are they. And the enemy believes that. Hear me? You don't, but the devil does. So what does the devil want to do? He knows if he wants to change the course of your life, his entire strategy is to change what you believe. Because he knows if you believe that you are the head and not the tail, if you are above and not beneath, if you are strong and mighty in the Lord, if you can operate according to God's plan and design for your life, he knows that if you believe that, that's what you will become. But he also knows that if he can lie to you, y'all not going to help me, if he can lie to you and make you believe that you are lower than a dog's belly, that you will become that, and that will live out in your... Have you ever met somebody that was wonderful? They had a sweet spirit, they were great, they had talent, and they didn't believe nothing good about themselves. Have you ever wondered how they could walk around under such a strong delusion? You don't see how wonderful you are. You don't see what a great personality you have. You don't see how gifted you are in that, and they cannot for the life of them see. You can give them roses, you can give them trophies, you can give them awards, and they always feel less than. It's because something happened to them in the past and a lie was attached to that trauma. They have believed that lie and they are walking out that lie instead of walking out God's truth. As a man believes in his heart, if you believe you can and if you believe you can't, you're right. And the devil knows that. So he doesn't change God's word, he changes what you believe about it. Church's beliefs have never been under attack more than they are right now. So what the devil says is this. I can't change the words in that page, but I can change their worldview. And if they change their worldview, they'll change the way they perceive that word in that book. Because the enemy knows that we can memorize the word. But if, we, if he changes the meaning behind it, we'll follow a lie quoting scriptures. I told you this is deep. Then he'll try to make you so miserable... That you don't see any of God's blessings on your Tuesday. So you start wondering if stuff like prayer and going to church even changes anything. Because he has made you saved but miserable. I told you last week, you're winning but wounded. You're winning but winded. You're, winded. you're winning. You're, you're pursuing the enemy. You've got the enemy on the run and yet you are weary. I told you all these sermons are going to tie together. That's what he does. He gets you so exhausted, you don't even think all this stuff that you believe works even works anymore. So he'll use trauma to get his lies into you. Let me, let me give you an example. Can I be real? He'll take a woman that just went through divorce, and he will lie to her and tell her, you know men can't be trusted. You know they all dogs. He'll take the husband of that woman and say, you know women ain't loyal. You know they never have your back when you need them the most. They'll abandon you. Same marriage. Same divorce. Man and woman went through the same experience and he's got both of them lied to 
because of the same wound. And you better believe he's going to reinforce his lie with some evidence. The first guy she dates, the second guy she dates, the third guy she dates. Dog, dog, dog. He's going to keep bringing evidence to back up his lie because the enemy's goal is to get you to repeat his lies because when you repeat something to yourself enough, it becomes an inner vow. And if you make an inner vow based on his lies, your mind and your heart will dictate the course of your life because as a man thinks, yeah, okay. So I, I just love how God's word exposes the enemy. Are you ready for me to get deeper into this? Look at what Jacob said. He said, my son has surely been torn to pieces. Somebody said, that's a lie. Uh-huh, that, that, that's a lie. Then he says, I will go to the grave in sorrow mourning my son. Now we're going to fast forward 22 years. Okay? Joseph, who Jacob thought was dead, is now ruling Egypt. He's only got one guy over him, right? Pharaoh is the king, and Joseph is right under Pharaoh. He is Pharaoh's right-hand man. Joseph is ruling in Egypt, and we see a scene where his brothers and his dad are bowing down in front of Joseph. You know this story, right? And Pharaoh says, hey, I want to meet your family. I want to know where you come from. You're such a great, wise, gifted, talented young man. I want to know your family. I, I want to get to know them. So he calls Jacob, the dad. And he gets Jacob in the room, and Pharaoh looks at Pharaoh. Pharaoh looks at Jacob and says this. How old are you? Now, now let's be honest. When somebody asks, how old are you? They're either asking that because you look too good to be that old. Or, <laughs> how old would you say he was again? Because you got the voice of a 25-year-old in the face of an octogenarian. That's... He, he asked Jacob, he says, how old... <laughs> Are you? You've got the voice of a young man, but you have the wrinkles of somebody that's advanced in years. And here's what Jacob says, Genesis 47 and 9. Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days of the years of my pilgrimage are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of my life of my fathers in the days of their pilgrimage. You know what he just said? He said, I'm dying younger than everybody else in my family. He's, now rewind. Rewind to when they brought the coat into his presence. What did he say? He got bad news. That's a wound. Say yes. That wound had a lie attached to it. Say yes. He believed that lie. Do we remember the logical, the, the, how he made that leap? And what did he say? He said, this will put me in the grave. This wasn't even true. And he spoke a curse over his own life. And now, now, 22 years later, he is dying 30 years sooner than his daddy and his grandfather Abraham. Why? Because God was done with the years of his life? No. Because he believed a lie 
spoke an inner vow over his life based on that lie, and he became a self-fulfilling prophecy. And you do the same exact thing, and I do the same exact thing. You expect the worst, so you cooperate with a lie to produce exactly what you expect. I'm not real popular, so let me just deep dive a little deeper. My question to you is this. What lies have you believed? What things have you spoken over your life based on evidence presented by the enemy? Because I can assure you that whatever lies you, brought, you bought into are now producing a harvest in your life. And here's what's wild. Are you ready to get even more upset with me? Some of you are praying to God for one thing, but believing something the devil told you in your heart. I'm going to get a little bit deeper into that next week when I break down how to go through Ephesians and start tearing down strongholds. But I, I just want to plant that seed in you because some of you are praying, God, heal me. But in your heart, you have a lie that that's not going to work. And you're wondering why it's not working. And you think it's the sickness that has you bound. It's not the sickness, it's the lie that was attached to it that you believed and you have now spoken it into truth into your life. But I'm going to give you two lies that are hidden in plain sight. Are you ready? One is, the reason lies are able to be hidden in plain sight, one reason is because a good liar mixes enough truth with a lie to make a lie sound like the truth. Mm. Mm. So, so let me dive into that. You need to expect in your life that you're going to be told some lies that are not completely cap. Okay? Some lies the enemy will serve you comes with facts. Let me help you. I know it's easy for us to be judgmental of people in the Bible because we're not there. But Jacob, come on, dude. You knew your sons hated Joseph, and you put a target on his back. You started this. And then as soon as they show up with his bloody coat, you took what they said as truth? I, I never worked for CSI, but I think I'd have dug a little deeper into that story. Like my favorite son that you all hated went out into the wilderness, and y'all come back without him? I know you got a bloody coat here, boys, but... Did somebody do something with Joseph? You, did, you hated him. You despised him. You were jealous of him. But Jacob never asked any questions because when you tell somebody just enough truth mixed with your lies that you want them to believe, you have a higher rate of success. And you say, Pastor, how do you know? I'm glad you asked. That's why you should never believe the first thought that comes into your mind. You need to ask yourself, where did this thought come from? You shouldn't believe the first thing you feel about your spouse. You shouldn't believe the first thing you feel about your job, about your future, and about your health, particularly in moments that are potentially traumatic. So if you go to the doctor and you're waiting for the report, we've, most of us have been there, right? Don't believe the first thought that comes to your mind when you see the results. Why? Because 
you can expect in those moments of trauma for the enemy to whisper a lie into your ear and then he's going to back it up with the facts that are on that scan. Listen to what it said. I know we're going to go through this scripture a lot in this series. John 8 and 44. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And one thing you've got to understand, help me, Jesus. There are certain life patterns that will always come with certain lies. If you grew up in a family like I did, where nobody had a successful marriage, either everybody got divorced or wished they did, then as soon as you hit a rough patch with your spouse, your mind is going to tell you that's the way out. And if that was my childhood, my experience, that's, that's a fact. That's evidence. Evidence is marriage is awful and I shouldn't stay in one. That's evidence. All I need is a lie to back up the evidence life already presented me. Listen, the enemy ain't that creative, y'all. He just takes what you have already went through, the trauma, the hurt, the injury, and he just adds to it his narrative. And if you don't know how to fight that, you believe it and make it your truth. Watch this. When you were little, maybe you were rejected by somebody you desperately wanted to love. Maybe it was your mom. Maybe it was your dad. And because they rejected you, you now believe the lie that you're not valuable. You see how quiet it is in here? You adopt this lie that there's no value in you because you don't feel like there's anything special about you and nobody will love you. You know what you do? You run out looking for somebody to make you feel special. And what better way for you to feel special than to get in a relationship where somebody is pouring all kinds of affection. So you're constantly trying to find relationships that validate you and make you feel special. And it works for a season. And that man and that woman satisfies your needs for a while. But then they don't satisfy any longer because no human can heal what only God can restore. But you don't know that, so you keep going to another and another and another. And the scary part is, if you don't get that healed in you, and in your life, and in your generation, it'll pass to your kid. Jesse rejected David. When he was asked for his son to be the next king, Jesse would not even call David in from the sheep field. He didn't believe in David. I got a whole sermon I could preach about why he didn't believe in David, and it had to do with David's mother. And he didn't like that woman, so he didn't like that son, and he never, called, he never thought anything special was in David. David was rejected by his father, and David's problem was women. 
And from the time he became the king to the time he died. You know how bad David's woman problem was? When David was old and they wasn't sure if he was going to make it, they found a young girl, threw threw her in bed with David, and when David didn't arouse, they said, surely the king is dead. Oh, the Bible is better than days of our lives. You just got to get in and read this stuff. They knew if there was anything going to get the king excited, it was a young girl. And it didn't work. David had a woman problem. And because he didn't solve it in his life, his son Solomon had 700 wives and 300 side chicks. Man, that's expensive. I'm sorry, I lost my mind there for a minute. Let me take you somewhere. I was in third grade. I was never, because of the life that I lived, the family I grew up in, I was very rough. I was very angry. I had, a, I had a lot of issues that I needed to work out. And back in the 70s and the 80s, they didn't have special uh, considerations for kids like me. They told you to bend over and touch your toes. And so I got paddled all through school and got sent home and got kicked out of class. And when I was in third grade, we were, our class was sitting in chairs and there was another class sitting in the floor. And there was a girl there and her name was Linda. And that girl got hit by, in the face by a crayon. I don't know who threw the crayon. Am I going to stand in this pulpit and tell you that I wasn't a likely suspect? No. I can totally understand why the teacher that shall remain nameless would have came to me and suspected me and questioned me. However, this time, I didn't do it. I wasn't guilty. I'm 50 years old. If I'd done it, I'd tell you. There's a lot of stuff I admit. Throwing a crayon's the least of the problems. I'd tell you, I didn't throw that crayon. However, she wouldn't even ask anybody else. She didn't consider anybody else. You know what she did? She punished the entire class and pointed at Albert the whole time. Y'all are missing recess because of Albert. You're not going to lunch because of Albert. And she looked me in the eye, a grown woman, and said, We all know you did it. Just admit it so the rest of the class can stop being punished. Do you know what happened to that eight-year-old? Do you know what that eight-year-old heard? You know what that lie that was spoken to that eight-year-old and he adopted that day? No matter how many times I tell the truth, nobody will ever see me but anything but a liar. And I didn't know it for many, many, many years that I adopted a lie that day. And looking back on it now, I can see how I started to make a whole lot of life choices that I'm not proud of. And I learned how to cover them up by telling you lies Y'all, I was good at it. I could stand on the ground, flat-footed, look you in the eye and lie to you and make you believe, make you feel sorry for me about how pitiful my life was and the whole thing fabricated, made up out of whole cloth. I could lie like nobody's business. My kids, my two oldest kids, they would try something when they were middle school age up into the high school and they'd be lying straight to my face and I'd call them on it. And they'd look at me a little strange. I'd say, where do you think you developed that particular skill from? 
I know you lying to me. <laughs> it never occurred to me to be truthful in life. I lived for years with this hanging over my head. It just felt natural for me to do whatever debauchery I wanted to and then lie my way out of it. It felt natural. It felt like this is how you should live. You should do whatever you wanted to do, no matter who it hurt, and whatever compulsion I wanted to uh, go after, I would, and then I would just lie to cover it up. Because I figured out at an early age that if I gave you enough truth mixed with the lie I want you to buy, I could get away with it. Where do you think I got that idea from? That's as old as this book. And it was all because I believed a lie about myself all those years ago. And by the way, it took me a long time to get healed. I'm talking about I was pastoring this church. And there was an incident. I was refereeing basketball games for the schools in this area. And there was three things that you automatically are leaving the gym for. There were three phrases. If you called me a cheat... If you called me a, something I can't say from the pulpit and you called me a liar, you were automatically leaving the gym and we was all going to watch you until you were gone. And it was after I threw someone out of a game for calling me a liar one time that I had an encounter with the Holy Spirit and it took me all the way back to that third grade class and I realized the first time I got suspended for fighting was because a boy called me a liar and I sent him to the hospital. First time I got arrested was because somebody called me a liar. And they had to surgically remove his eye. And it was all because that wound had a lie attached to it so many years ago. And I felt like I had to defend myself for years. Because nobody else would defend me. Nobody else would help me when I was helpless. I was hurt. And the lie told me that that's the way life is and you have to take care of it yourself. The second reason that a lie works when it's out in the open is what's in your search bar. When you search for anything on the, evident, on the internet, there's evidence of what you searched for in your search bar. In other words, whatever you look for, you leave a trail. I was looking for an excuse to pop somebody in the mouth. I was hurt. All of, you mean all those years later, something like that? Yes, absolutely. And it had nothing to do with that teacher. It had nothing to do with how weak I was. It had everything to do with I didn't realize the lie that I had believed about myself. I did not believe. So I went into church meetings defensive. Thinking immediately, folks are going to think I'm a liar. And I would, I would find myself being defensive and bristly when nobody had said anything. And it was all because I had believed a lie so many years ago. So when I ask you the question, what lies have you believed? It's because I understand the danger of living your life attached to these lies. Whatever you look for, you leave a trail behind. And the first thing we got to be able to identify is the lies that we believe. How do we do that? Well, I've read many times that when they train federal agents how to identify counterfeit money, 
when they're, when they're training people to go undercover and they're, and they're trying to figure out uh, how to train them to, to identify the, the money that isn't real, they don't study counterfeit money. They train them using the real thing. Here's why. There's too many versions of the counterfeit. So they could never expose them to all of the different caps. Because as soon as you get one figured out, they change it. So there's too many variations to the counterfeit. So what they do is they make them understand the real thing. They know the weight that it holds, the way it feels between their fingers, the way it looks, the gloss or the non-gloss. They get so used to the real thing that when they're in contact with the counterfeit, they can spot it a mile away. So what I need you to know is that there are too many lies that the enemy is telling for you to uh, know all the lies. So I'm not going to try to get you to bury down and understand all of his lies because as soon as you figure out this lie, he's going to switch it up on you and tell you a different one. What I want you to know is what the truth says because when you hold to the truth, it don't matter what kind of lies he speaks against you. Let me give you an example. Psalm 23 and 1. You don't know this scripture. The Lord is my, I shall not. You know what that means? I lack for nothing. I lack for nothing. Oh boy, this is going to mess with some of y'all. Anything in my life that I'm lacking, that God wants me to have, the reason I'm lacking it is because it's based on a lie that I have believed above His Word. Because if His Word says it's mine and I don't have it, it's not the Word's fault. Pastor, you don't know what my marriage is like. He did not say, the Lord is my shepherd as long as my spouse is nice to me. I'll lack nothing. The Lord is my shepherd as long as my boss recognizes how valuable I am and gives me the promotion I deserve. I will lack nothing. Is that what it says? Are, are there any addendums to that verse? Or are we just supposed to believe the truth over the lie? But we've all allowed these lies to come in and counteract what we're supposed to know is true. And that's why we lack. Isaiah 26 and 3. You will keep in perfect peace, that's God, all who trust. Do you trust in the Lord? I trust in God. My Savior, we sing it all the time. So let me ask you, do you trust in the Lord? Well, then he should have you in perfect peace. Do you trust in the Lord? Do you trust in the Lord? Do you have perfect peace? All right, so what's wrong? He will keep you in perfect peace, all who trust in you and whose thoughts are fixed. What you searched for is what you found. What's in your search bar? Because the Bible says, whose thoughts are fixed on, uh, you'd have perfect peace if you, you'd have perfect peace if your thoughts was fixed on him. What's in your search bar? Because you left the trail. Whatever you search for is what you found. And some of you are searching hard for misery. Some of you are searching hard for an excuse to be miserable and grumpy and complaining. You're searching hard for it, and you're going to find it. Because I found out a long time ago that if I'm looking for a mess, the devil will show up and give me the evidence that I need to believe the lie that he's speaking. 
Whose thoughts are fixed on you? Any area of my life where I'm not experiencing the peace of God, it's not my environment that needs to change. I can't say, when I get a bigger house, I'll have the peace of God. I can't say, when I get married, I'll find the peace of God. Some of y'all be saying, when I get divorced, I'll find... No. No. Because there's a lie that I believed, and that lie is stealing my peace. In a season where I should have peace. Psalm 84 and 11. The Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing. Will he withhold? Oh, does that say once I get my degree? In the wild, how we blame events in our lives for how miserable we are? The circumstances going on around us? Why don't I believe every season is my season? Why don't I believe that my God is my son and my shield? He'll give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them. Why don't I believe that? Because there's a lie attached to my wound. Paul said, Paul said, and I'm going to get deeper into this as we go into this series a little bit deeper. Are you okay? Paul said you got to get violent with it. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments. Okay, leave the verse up. You ever had an argument with yourself? Like you just sitting at a red light? And you say, I should do it. No, I shouldn't. I work hard. I deserve it. Yeah, you're going to deserve that mess that it's going to make. Anybody know? It's just you sitting alone in a car. A person sits up behind you. I hope they're on the phone with somebody. Look what it says. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And you want to know how to get rid of the lies? Bringing Every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. How do you win a battle as a believer? You've got to bring every thought into captivity. You've got to say, no, that doesn't line up with the Word. That can't be true. That comes from the one whose native language is lies. Because if it was true, it would sound like my father. You're going to obey Christ, mind. You're going to obey Christ, thoughts. Now, a literal stronghold is a wall built up around a city to make sure nobody gets in. But a spiritual stronghold is the formation of a lie that the enemy plants and entrenches in your mind. And he defends it because it's territory he owns on the inside of your mind. So the lies of the enemy has you live in your whole life with low self-esteem. You carry that stronghold into every relationship, and every relationship, pew. And you wonder, why am, I, why am I always picking losers? Are you sure they're the... Or is it that you sabotaged your own self before you ever got involved in them because you don't believe you're worthy of a good man, of a good woman, of a good healthy relationship because you've never seen one modeled, and you believed a lie from the age of three? Relationships blow up. And you keep seeking out evidence of people that you know eventually are going to back up the lie. I'm not even charging y'all for this therapy session. You carry that stronghold into every relationship, every job interview, and into every new season. 
But the Bible says that we've got weapons that are mighty in God that are supposed to pull down those strongholds. So how do I do that? Okay, I'm walking into an interview and here comes this thought. Well, they're probably not going to like you. They're probably not going to hire you. You're not qualified. You don't have the right education. No, no, no. Because God's word says my gifts open doors for me. And that when God opens a door, no man can close them. I'm not kicking this door in. This door is opening for me. It don't matter what the enemy speaks over my life because my father has already called me favored and his. Maybe you went through a divorce. Maybe you went through some season of addiction. And here he is in your ear saying, you're damaged goods. You've messed up too badly. You've sinned too much. There's nothing that you can do to make up for those horrible mistakes you made. No, 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 and no. Because the truth says, in Christ, I am a new creature. Old things are passed away, and all things have become new. By the way, devil, that ain't even me anymore. That was the old me. This is the new me. I'm not even that creature anymore. And what you begin to realize is this is a daily process. You don't come to church one Sunday and get over it. Can I be real? Your spouse says something that makes your blood boil. Not my spouse, she's perfect. Your spouse says something gets you irate. And you got history with them. Somebody say amen. Things ain't been good between you two for a while, and you don't know it, but you have just given place to the enemy, and now there's a stronghold in there. And so what you're hearing is not what they said. You're hearing the voices coming out of that stronghold. And guess what? What they said that was wrong is their fault. If you heard it and got offended, that's your fault. Because if your peace is always predicated on how everybody else acts, you're never going to have no peace. So you got to stop surrendering your peace to everybody else's actions. But imagine if I captured these thoughts. I'm going to get deeper into that text. The next two weeks we're going to be diving deeper into Ephesians and Galatians, what Paul tells us. Imagine if I capture that thought when it comes to me and I don't let it dictate how my day is going to be. Just imagine. Just imagine if I don't let what she said to me follow me all day long. I wouldn't be miserable. I wouldn't be uptight. I wouldn't be cranky. Listen to what the Bible says in Psalm 107 and 20. He sent his word and healed them. And delivered them from their destructions. Just, just leave. Do you have that scripture? Psalm 107 and 20. If you can find it and just leave it up. Yeah, let's just leave that up there for a minute. What's the opposite of a lie? And what's the ultimate source of truth? His word. He sent his word, the truth. And look what happens when you get his truth. It heals you. And delivers you from destruction. 
Some of you need supernatural healing and not in your body. Because that's already promised to you. You need supernatural healing in your heart. You need deliverance from lies that you have believed for your whole life. And you know where deliverance comes from? Knowing what God says about the situation, not the lies that the enemy has spoken to you. Some of you have been praying and fasting and saying, God, deliver me. And God has been saying to you because you started the year with a fast like you did last year and the year before and the year before. And you're like, I fast and I pray every year and nothing works. And you keep saying, God, help me. God, heal me. God, deliver me. And God says, believe me. Believe me. I've sent my word. Believe it over the light. Believe what I have said about you and your deliverance will come through my word. That coat wasn't the only reason that Joseph's brothers hated him. God had given Joseph a dream that he was going to be the leader of the family. And that one day all the brothers would bow down at Joseph's feet. And after so many years, he went to prison for something he didn't do. He was sold into slavery. And the Bible says about Joseph, Joseph remembered the dream. I would have remembered the betrayal. I would have remembered spending 12 years in jail. I would have remembered the lies. I would have remembered how my family turned against me. But the Bible says Joseph remembered the dream. So Jacob was presented a bloody coat. And he held on to a lie for 30 years that put him into the grave sooner than he should have. And his son was presented the truth, a dream. And he held on to it, and he became second in command in the world's largest army. Jacob hung on to a cloak. Joseph hung on to the word. No matter how bad things got, Joseph said, I'm going to honor God with my life. All the evidence says that God has forsaken me. He has forgotten me. He's left me in this prison to rot. None of his truth is working in my life. That's the evidence. And can you imagine the lies that the devil was spitting at Joseph? And all through it all, the Bible says God was with Joseph because Joseph never wavered. This is the year the lies stop. Aren't you sick to death? Of operating under a strong delusion that God's Word doesn't work for you. I'm not going to be talking to anybody, but every individual in here. I'm not talking to families, although this could stretch into families. I'm going to be talking to every individual because the Bible says if you're going to live righteous, you're going to have to live by faith. You have, to have, you have to stop having an emotional reaction to everything that life throws your way. You've got to get anchored in the fact that if God said it, it's good enough. So this morning, I've asked the praise team to sing this particular song. And we're going to do it all three weeks. And as we sing it, I want you to look at the words. And I want you to focus on these words. Because I'm going to give you a homework assignment, okay? I want you to go home and I want you to find a word in that book that is the exact opposite of what you've been living under. Because if you're sick, maybe that word is by his stripe. 
I'm healed. Maybe it's anxiety. Maybe you're depressed. Maybe it's stress. And you're going to go in the Bible and you're going to find where Peter says, cast all your cares on Jesus because he cares for you. And he'll give you the peace of God, which passes all understanding. And every time you get ready to have one of them panic attacks, you're going to say, no, 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 no. That don't line up with the Word. The truth says, I have peace. And I'm going to have it in this moment. That's your homework assignment. And to get us started, we're going to sing and worship this song. And as we do that, they're going to start passing out the elements. Because here's what I'm believing. I'm believing that as we partake of the Lord's Supper these three weeks, there's going to be lies that you didn't even know you've been operating under. Like I didn't. God, I, I kept that for years. I didn't know some third grade teacher could have that kind of effect on me. She can't. But the lie can. She wounded me. But I allowed the lie to operate. I'm tongue-talking, preaching the gospel, delivering people from devils, and operating under a lie. So we're going to sing. We're going to worship and set the stage for the Lord's Supper. Here's the thing. I'm not going to, I'm not going to do the communion like we usually do where we just break the bread and drink the juice. I'm going to introduce it now. And then when I tell you to, we're all going to do it together. And you're just going to do it, one right after another. Okay? Does everybody understand me? Uh, we're, we're, not, we're not going to take it like we usually do. And I usually under, tell you, to, here's the bread that's broken for me. And we're not going to do that. We're just going to do it one shot. We're going to do it together. I'll give, you the, I'll give you the signal that it's time to do it. And as we do it, I want you to believe healing is for me. Deliverance is for me. And that's why I'm taking this symbol of the broken body of Christ. I'm taking this symbol of His blood that was shed for me. If, if you're an addict here, I want you to believe that addiction doesn't have to hold you. That you can be free. If you have been broken in your spirit and you have a hard time with faith, I want you to believe faith is for me. I, I, can, I can have strong enough faith where I can pray for people and they can be healed. I can have that kind of walk with God. God wants that for me. He wants good things for me. I'm His child. So I want you to, I want you to be believing those things. And as we take it, I, I believe that somebody's scales are going to fall off. And for the first time, you're going to be able to see clearly. And after we've taken communion, if you want to come up here and pray at the altar, this way we're going to do it all three weeks, okay? I know this is not usual, but we're not church as usual. We're, we're that church. And, and this morning, I have covered this in so much prayer for you on your behalf. I, I've, I've begged God to let today be the day. Let these three weeks be eye-opening and revelatory and deliverant for somebody. I'm believing somebody is you. So I'm going to ask you, if you would, to stand all over this building and get ready to worship with this praise team. And as we sing it, I want you to pay close attention to the words. Listen, get them words inside of you. This is truth. I was in my office praying, and this song came on, and I said, wow, that's it. That's it. That's the song. So I want you to pay very close attention. This is truth. There's a miracle in you because it was finished on Calvary. You're not waiting.
waiting on anything. You're His beloved. You're His chosen. You're not waiting on God to do something. He's waiting on you. So I want you to go ahead and open the elements once you get them and have them ready and we'll do this together. But not now. Once we've worshipped just a little while, but while we worship, focus on these words. Come on, praise team.